Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following podcast contains dramatizations of actual events. Certain situations, dialogue, names, and locations may have been changed. Some scenes are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Paul Comiati was never a candidate for Man of the Year. His wife was battered and bruised a lot of the time. He couldn't handle his liquor. So when he got drunk, he took it out on my mom. And it didn't take long for his family to decide they might all be better off without him. The Comiati house reminds me of a pressure cooker. Sooner or later, that thing's going to blow. What followed was a morbid comedy of errors that would come to a shocking climax. They weren't real good at the poisoning part, and he wasn't very good at the dying part. But when it comes to family, you can never truly bury the past. We thought we had some crazed killer on our hands, some maniac. You talk about karmic justice. The family seemed genetically free of feelings and showed a blackened character of epic proportions. Hammond, Indiana sits at the very bottom of Lake Michigan. The oil and steel industries around Hammond is what drew most of the people here. They were hardworking middle to lower middle class. In this middle American enclave, everyone works hard and puts family first. But sometimes priorities change behind closed doors. Every once in a while, uh, in, a, in a family that seems outwardly normal, uh, with a working dad and a, a mom and kids, you find that there's a component of evil that has sort of possessed the house. And unbeknownst to everyone in Hammond, there was no house more possessed than that of Paul Comiati Sr. Everyone in town knew how Paul Comiati Sr. had been spending his golden years. 
most of his away from home activities involve going to the local bars, having several drinks, engaging in the pools and the drawings at each bar. See you all tomorrow, okay? So it was quite a surprise when one day, Paul Sr. simply doesn't show up. The only people who seem to notice are his drinking buddies, and they are very concerned. So they decide to talk to Paul's wife, Rosemary. She told them Paul was not missing, that he was fishing somewhere, and he'd be home soon. But as the weeks go by and Paul Sr. never shows up, local law enforcement starts to suspect the worst. His conduct in taking a fishing trip in March was just so very inconsistent with his history. His fishing consisted of him taking his grandson to a local fishing hole or to Lake Michigan for a day. And it's only a matter of time before detectives uncover the deeply disturbing truth of what really happened in the Komiati home. No one knew Paul Sr. better than his son, Paul Jr., whose appearance has changed over the years. In 2010, I did have a bike accident. I was in a coma for 22 days. I've since had 14 surgeries. Still have three more to go, and then I'll be back to near where I was right before the accident. But Paul Jr. still remembers every detail about his father. My dad was, was born in 1917, and he grew up in a different time era during the Depression. He was a hard worker. He worked as a construction worker pretty much five days a week. But Paul Sr.'s gruff exterior was perfectly balanced by his loving wife. My mother was, she was the sweetest woman you'll ever meet in your life. Their children, Marianne and Paul Jr., were still young when they moved into the house on Alabama Avenue. It was pretty much a stereotypical suburban neighborhood. But there was always something missing for Paul Sr. He always seemed to be miserable. Hateful at the world. I, I can't ever recall my dad laughing or smiling, ever. And Paul Sr. did have his vices. My dad was a heavy smoker, and he was an alcoholic. He would get up in the morning, go to work, and from the time he came back, he would drink all night until he was ready to go to bed. Booze and misery were a bad combination for the rest of the family. When Paul Sr. had a couple of drinks, he was very aggressive, uh, very obnoxious, and often violent with the members of his family, especially his wife, who was battered and bruised a lot of the time. I couldn't respect my dad. Yeah, he was my dad, but how do you respect someone that beats on your mother on a daily basis? And when Paul Jr. was 10 years old, he felt the full wrath of his father's rage. He charged at me, swung at me several times. He threatened me with a gun. He chased me down the alley holding a gun and talking about he was going to shoot me. I was an embarrassment to him. He didn't want me. I was a mistake. You know, in, in his own words, I was a mistake, and he wished I'd never been born. And things went from bad to worse when Paul Sr. suddenly retired. My dad had emphysema. 
hardening of the arteries. He had a heart condition and he had open heart surgery. So at that time, he just, he took his retirement then. Paul Sr. used his retirement as a license to drink all day, every day. Instead of more being laid back and enjoying life, it was, well, okay, now I can start drinking at breakfast. And so usually by lunch, he was fairly drunk and he was a miserable drunk. As the years passed, older sister Marianne had enough. My sister left the house at the age of 18. She left based on my dad's actions. During that time, Marianne had a son and found a man who'd take care of them both. And to everyone's surprise, Paul Sr. loved the little boy. If there was anything that actually made him happy, it was his grandson. But Marianne's new husband, Billy Van Diver, didn't receive the same warm reception. Billy really is a lifelong criminal. He was the sixth of seven kids, sort of lost in the shuffle, became a juvenile delinquent, went in for stealing hubcaps and cigarettes, got out, stole a car, went back in, did two years for robbery. Paul hated the idea that his daughter had married a career criminal. So they were like two rams butting horns. Things didn't get any easier once Marianne moved back into the family home and brought Billy with her. And as Paul Sr. continued to drink, his family bore the brunt of his abuse, and the lines between fantasy and reality began to blur. The Comiati house reminds me of a pressure cooker that didn't have a release valve. And anybody who knows anything about physics, sooner or later that thing's gonna blow. After a night of arguing, Marianne decides she's had enough of her father. I guess he got to yelling at her and told her to leave. She grabbed her son and started to leave, and he grabbed her son from her and said, no, you're not taking him with, but you're getting out of the house. They had a physical altercation where he had hit her. It's the last straw for the Comiati family. I distinctly remember my sister walked in the bedrooms, tears in her eyes, everything, and said, that, hey, there's, we got to do something, you know. He has to die. And lucky for them, there's someone in the family who knows how to make that happen. The Comiatis may have lived on in misery for many, many years without any horrible happening if they hadn't found a release valve, and that release valve was Billy Van Diver. Before long, the children approached their mother with a crazy, desperate idea. When Rosemary was approached with a plan, her only request at that particular time was not to do it in the house because she didn't want to have to clean up the mess. And so, with their mother's blessing, the Kamiati children get started on the plot to kill Paul Sr. It was talked about staging it where it would appear to be a robbery. My sister knew of a friend of Billy's that she thought would do it. Now, with a plan in place, the family is ready to commit the deadly deed. But they'll soon discover that old men die hard. You would think that a, that a man who's 65 years old had open heart surgery would be fairly easy to kill. 
it's hard to kill somebody. You know, people are tough. But pulling off the murder is going to be more difficult than they could ever have imagined. It's like a comedy of errors. Uh, the attempts keep escalating, but Paul Sr., too mean to die. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. After years of abuse, the Kamiati family has decided they're through with patriarch Paul Sr. There was a lot of hatred in the Kamiati household, uh, but... The great majority of it was focused on the old man. And after yet another violent argument, the family believes there's only one solution for their problem. My sister walked in the bedrooms, tears in her eyes, everything, and said, He has to die. And so the plotting began. With Marianne's shady husband at their side, the Kamiati family decides on a quick and easy way to off the old man. So the initial plan is to have someone uh, shoot him as he's coming out of one of his favorite watering holes, make it look like a robbery. But before they can pull the trigger, Billy has second thoughts. Billy heard the idea about shooting Paul Sr. outside the bar and said, this is not a good idea. This is too external. Doing it in public is too risky. Let's keep it among us. Billy stepped in and said, no, there's a better way to do this. And for Billy, this was a way he could show that he was a man, that he was in control, 
that he could protect everybody else, help them eliminate the obstacle, help them eliminate the abuser. If my dad should end up passed away, I, I didn't feel one way or another in regards to it. So now it's back to square one, and Paul Sr. is none the wiser. It would be interesting to know what was going through Paul Sr.'s mind because his family were just making a checklist of ways to kill him, and he apparently didn't have a clue. After some thought, Paul Sr.'s wife and children decide to take a simpler course of action. They went to Plan 2, which uh, involved uh, putting nitroglycerin in Paul Sr.'s medicine. Billy's idea was the doctor, the medications, to make it look like it was just a product of heart problems and other medical complications, and he just passed away. And Rosemary knows just what the doctor ordered. When the Comiades decided they were going to try to poison Paul Sr., uh, it was Rosemary's turn to step up. She worked in a drugstore, and she had access to some of these things they were going to need. She'd obtained an unusual amount of nitroglycerin tablets for uh, her husband's prescription. She was doctoring his medicine, spicing up his uh, nitroglycerin tablets that he was taking for a heart problem, and tripling or quadrupling his dosage. And then they wait and wait and wait. Ultimately, what that ended up doing is uh, it made him sick. Some of these attempts at murder, they don't work. And it's, uh, the human bodies, it's, it's hard to kill somebody. You know, it's just, it, people are tough. The prescription eventually runs out and Paul Sr. is still standing. Well, you would think that, that a man who's 65 years old had open heart surgery would be fairly easy to kill, but uh, he was starting to seem just a little bit invulnerable. So the family decides to take a more aggressive approach. Tried to rat poison in his coffee. And rat poison has got a lot of cuminin in it. So it probably just acted as a blood thinner to him. And sure enough, even rat poison has its drawbacks. My dad was talking about going to the doctor, so they decided not to go forward with that because they didn't want the doctor discovering there was any type of poison. The family grows increasingly desperate, but they remain determined to finish the job. So the next theory is they're going to knock him out with ether and then inject him with a syringe with air bubbles so that he, he would die and it would look like a heart attack. That night, the family gathers ready to pounce, but there's an unexpected complication. The first time they tried to use the ether and syringe with air plan, they go into Paul Sr.'s bedroom and his grandson's in bed with him asleep and they call it off. Paul Sr. continued to prove to the family that no matter what they tried, it didn't work, that he was in control, he was indestructible. Once again, it's back to the drawing board and the family's patience is wearing thin. It gets to be the middle of March, and there have been a number of attempts on Paul Sr.'s life. And Paul Sr. is still going out, getting tanked, and coming home, swinging a belt at Paul Jr., gonna make trouble for his wife at her place of work. But Paul Sr.'s family isn't done yet. 
Billy Van Diver was determined to finish this situation one way or another. But by now, the Comiati family should have known Paul Sr. would never go down without a fight. The family waits for Paul Sr. to fall asleep one last time. Nine for a signal that about 10 to 1. And then that's when everything went into action. The plan is a familiar one. Knock their father out with ether and inject an air bubble into his veins. But something goes wrong before the attack can even begin. They went under the sink to where they kept the ether and found that somebody hadn't screwed the cap on tight enough and the ether had evaporated. Phil Suarez tried anyway. While the women wait in the TV room, the boys swing into action. Me and my brother-in-law went into my dad's bedroom. I was at the end of the bed, he was at the side. He had the ether and he had a pillow was trying to smother him. But Paul Sr. doesn't go down easy. My dad started struggling with him and he was literally struggling for his life. And so at that time, I held my dad's legs down. And I had my dad's legs pinned to the bed. There was a big struggle. As the struggle continues, Billy begins to get desperate. The old man puts up a fight. He will not suffocate. So Billy gets frustrated, pulls out his gun, hits Senior on the head with the gun, doesn't have an effect. Despite three strikes to the head, Paul Senior continues to fight, and Billy knows it's time to end it once and for all. Then Billy pulls out his knife. It's a curved blade fish filleting knife. Stabs Paul Sr. I'm holding my dad's legs down. My dad's yelling, son, son, can't we work something out? What I was actually thinking at the time, I was recalling every time I seen him beat my mother. Paul Jr. didn't stop. Billy didn't stop. This is pretty amazing that there was no sign of rage. There was no sign of discontrol. There was no sign of screaming. It just happened. Nobody really seemed to be upset that they were taking a life. As the men struggle violently in the bedroom, Rosemary and Marianne sit patiently in the living room, listening. My sister, especially my mother, you know, they're, they're both wondering what happened in there. They were waiting for instructions from Billy. He was pretty much the leader of the, the group at this point. He was taking charge of what next steps were going to happen. Back in the bedroom, the struggle finally ends. I was still at the end of the bed holding his legs down, and that's when Bill finally stopped stabbing him. Now there's a body to dispose of. Me and him went out in the garage, and he went over, looked around, and then he looked back at me, and I was standing just inside where there were several tools hung up on outlines just inside the garage door. So he looked, he seen a, a pruning saw and a crosscut saw. He said, these will do. When the boys head back to the bedroom, they discover it's not over yet. Paul Sr. is still alive, barely. So Billy does what he has to do. Billy was holding Paul Sr. down, and he started with the hacksaw. And while Paul Sr. was still alive and breathing, he cut his head off. This time, it's finally over. 
This is the climax of the black comedy of errors. Uh, we've gone from don't do it in my house to all of a sudden there is just blood everywhere in the master bedroom. The second Paul's head falls off, Paul Jr. and Billy come into the living room. They announce that the old man is dead. Rosemary says, all right, let's have a drink to celebrate. To me and my mom, and I believe my sister as well, it was a relief that it was over with. But now, there's a bloody, headless body that must be disposed of and a crime to cover up. He was very methodical about the way he dissected the body. They were throwing the body parts in various garbage bags, the head in one, the torso in one, the arms and the legs in one. It creates a real horrific mess where you're cutting open basically a body and you've got bowels and, and organs and, and a lot of problems and a lot of blood to deal with. Yet the grisly work soon takes on a festive atmosphere. A couple of times during him dissecting Paul Sr., he took a break, went into the TV room where Rosemary and Mary Ann were sitting with the TV on, celebrating Paul's death by having a drink. And there's even a few jokes at Paul Sr.'s expense. At some later point, Billy came back into the TV room with Paul Sr.'s penis in a glass and asked Rosemary if she would like a souvenir. And Rosemary's response was, <laughs> I didn't want it when he was alive. Why would I want it now? After the body parts are bagged, the family sets out to making Paul Sr. disappear. Paul Jr. and Billy carried the garbage bags out to the car and drove out to the lakefront, and uh, they disposed of the bags there, covering them up with uh, sheets of plywood. Now with Paul Sr. finally in the ground, the family must decide on a story to explain his absence. When Paul Jr. and Billy are coming back from uh, dropping off the body, they hatch a plan. They're going to say that Paul Sr. went on a fishing trip to Canada, and then they were going to hope that nobody missed him. All of them became active participants in this crime, led by Billy. This is a strange situation, because four different people with four different sets of motives, all coming together for a common purpose, all been now being very, very active, that's pretty cold and calculating. And because there's no mental illness involved, it's pretty disturbing. And now that the Komiati family is rid of Paul Sr., they can finally breathe easy. Immediately succeeding the homicide, they carried on in a natural, normal fashion. Rosemary did some shopping. Paul Jr. had a party, a two-kegger, just like any other young fellow from high school. After the murder, Billy and Marianne take off in the truck. They drive around for a while, and Marianne comes back to Hammond and stays with a girlfriend. The Komiani family thought all their problems were solved, but Paul Sr. will exact revenge from beyond the grave. 
After the many requests from Paul Sr.'s friends, Rosemary finally decides it's time to report her husband's disappearance. She was very calm, very cool, very collected, uh, as if she were talking about her cat ran away. She was, didn't seem to be upset at all. Rosemary always excelled at keeping up appearances. While Rosemary seems outwardly relaxed, inside she's got some problems, and one of them's Billy. Billy wants to be paid. He wants $20,000. He considers himself now he's a professional killer. He, he killed her husband for her, and he wants to be paid off. It's not very much of a leap to think because Rosemary knew what Billy did, that she would now be in fear that Billy would want to eliminate her because she was no longer someone that could give him what he needed. So Rosemary does the only thing she can think of to protect herself and save her son and daughter. Seemingly out of the blue, Rosemary Comiati decides it's time to tell her story. She said that she overheard Billy and Marianne talking about killing her husband and stashing the body out at Lake Michigan Lakefront. But Rosemary isn't thinking ahead about possible repercussions. I don't think mom meant anything as far as my sister. I don't think she really meant to get her in trouble or anything like that. That wasn't mom's intentions. Regardless, Detective Williams finds her story dubious at best. My gut reaction to Rosemary's information was it was hard to believe her. However, I did believe that she did have some information, and some of that information may be true. So it was our duty and obligation to follow through and check it out. Detectives Williams and Mitchell agree to search the lakefront, but they're doubtful they'll find anything. Jim Mitchell and I began walking the area. After about an hour and a half, maybe two hours, I ran across a pile of construction plywood. I could smell the odor of decomposition, and I'm familiar with that. So I just started looking around. It was very obvious when I did see it. I observed several dark-colored garbage bags. The first bag that I opened contained Paul Sr.'s head. Viewing a human head with his eyes wide open, staring right at me, it, it's somewhat startling. As soon as we confirmed that there was a, definitely a body at the scene, we called Hammond PD, and obviously the cavalry came rolling up, you know, and they marked off the crime scene, taped it off, and then the crime lab folks showed up, coroner showed up, they all worked their, their business. Once the coroner confirms the body is that of Paul Camiati Sr., the investigation kicks into high gear. And detectives know the first place they should look. I felt strongly the crime scene may have been in the home simply because of the privacy that they would have had. Nobody other than the family or whomever else was there would be aware of what was going to happen. So detectives secure a search warrant and descend on the Comiati home. When they arrive, 
the first thing detectives do is separate the family. They felt Paul Jr. might cause a disruption for the personnel that were trying to search because he's a big boy. So they asked me if I would just kind of divert him, keep him outside, keep him occupied and talk to him, keep him out of their way. Investigator Mitchell took Paul Jr. out to his vehicle to sit and chat while I was talking with Rosemary. Our crime scene investigators proceeded into Paul Sr.'s bedroom where everyone investigating the case thought it may have occurred. As crime scene techs canvass the bedroom, Detective Williams tries to make small talk with Rosemary. Rosemary was calm, collected, as if they, they were in there looking for a lost cat. It, it, she was so casual. As we were sitting there chatting, Rosemary first offered me a drink. Can we get you beer? Or, or along with Paul Sr.'s unopened cigarettes. Sure. I found that so strange. This is extremely unusual conduct for someone who has to know by that point that she is probably a suspect in the homicide. Rosemary continued to act the way she always had, and that is to try to be the lady, to try to be compliant, the nice person that got caught up in something bad. And in the bedroom, investigators do find something very bad. When the crime scene investigators positively identify the presence of human blood, we as investigators knew that we were on the right track. But it's Paul Jr. who's about to spill the beans. We sat in my car and we were just doing idle chatting. Got around to what was going on in terms of his dad, what had happened. That's when he started telling me his version of him being home on the night this happened. Unlike his mother, Paul Jr. can't keep a secret. We're getting a little different version from Paul than I got from Rosemary. All of a sudden, Paul starts pointing fingers at everybody, and Paul starts to confess to his role in chopping up Dad. Now we know that they were all there. We got Billy Van Diver, we got Mary Ann and Rosemary, we got Paul Jr., and even the little boy was there. And with that, Paul Jr. is taken in for a more thorough statement. But they immediately read him his rights, and he spills his guts. After Paul's statement, the police realize the next people they need to talk to are Billy and Mary Ann. As it turns out, they find Mary Ann first. They pick her up, and they bring her into the police station. They wanted my sister to come down there and identify the body. So she went down there, and as soon as she did, they charged her with the murder. Now we know that they were all there, and who was there? We got Billy Van Diver, we got Paul Jr., we got Mary Ann, and Rosemary. Now investigators are on the hunt for Billy Van Diver, Paul Sr.'s son-in-law, who may be armed and dangerous. But detectives quickly find him hiding out on his parents' farm in Missouri. It turns out that Billy isn't quite the mastermind he pretends to be. And soon detectives are back on the road to Hammond with Billy in tow. I said, Billy, you know as well as I do, you're all going to jail for the rest of your life or the electric chair. And the rest of the Comiati family falls like dominoes. My sister was arrested first. 
And then uh, on May 20th, exactly two months, they arrested me. And then they waited a full month when they actually charged my mom and arrested her. But detectives discover that everyone has their own version of events. The entire family, with the exception of Bill Van Diver, pointed the finger at everyone else. It was each one implicating the entire family, excluding themselves, of course. So prosecutors decide to cut a deal with the family member who has the most to lose. Marianne basically said, I have a child to think about, and my family did what they did, and, and I've got to take care of myself. We made the deal with the daughter and basically asked her to testify against her mother, her brother, and her husband in exchange for a sentence of eight years. I will never forget, we were discussing with Mary Ann that we were going to ask for the death penalty against her husband, Billy Van Diver. And her response was, oh, Billy really won't like that. He hates electricity. When Rosemary and Paul Jr. finally get to trial, they retell their version of what happened that night. Rosemary and Paul Jr. both testified that they helped with the plot because they were afraid of what Billy would do to them if they didn't. But their testimony isn't convincing. The jury didn't believe either Rosemary or Paul Jr., convicted them both. Rosemary is given a harsh punishment for her role in the death of her husband. The judge expressed himself quite directly when he imposed his sentences, basically giving Rosemary Camiotti life in prison. He gave her 100 years. And Paul Jr. receives the same, but with a twist. The judge differentiated with Paul Jr. because of his age. Being 17, the judge halved his sentence for Paul Camiotti Jr. And the judge hands down his own opinion about the Comiati family. The judge that heard all these cases was also, of course, the sentencing judge, and he summed it up very well. At sentencing, he said, the family seemed genetically free of feelings and showed a blackened character of epic proportions. A few days later, Billy Van Diver's trial begins. He is convicted and sentenced to death by electrocution. When the judge sentenced him to the electric chair, he wanted to get it over with. He didn't want nothing but to go out like a man. And he did not appeal. He refused all of the appeal process that was offered him. And two years later, Billy finally gets the chance. And then they took him to the Indiana State electric chair, which was very, very old. It had been built in part out of the hangman's gallows that it replaced back in 1914. But what looks like a routine execution goes haywire. The first blast of electricity didn't kill him. The second blast of electricity didn't kill him. And the third one finally did. It was botched, bungled, and horrible, grotesque. But anyone who saw pictures of Paul Sr.'s uh, decapitated head will tell you 
uh, it was not as gruesome as the crime Billy committed. You talk about karmic justice in this case. It took about 20 to 30 minutes, we estimate, for Billy Van Diver and Paul Camiotti Jr. to kill Paul Camiotti Sr. The whole process of executing Billy Van Diver took about 20 to 30 minutes. In the end, what seems like fantasy can take on a twisted life of its own. Do you think I care? I could care less. You know why? Because the Camiotti family was an incredibly dysfunctional family. The only thing I care about. But you wouldn't know it. You could live next door to them for years, and you'd never know they had this dysfunction. Get up right this time! Rosemary, I swear to God. This family was capable of committing one of the most gruesome crimes that we've ever seen. It is not uncommon for families to feel hostility towards dad. In fact, I'd say that it's, it's abnormal when there isn't hostility towards dad. Dad's the disciplinarian. Dad's in charge of the money. But here's a family that didn't know how to handle that hostility. They, they blew past all borders of civilized behavior, and every single one of them paid for it. The important thing in this case is to realize that the single act was committed by four people with different motives. And the primary motive for each one of them in isolation was self-preservation. By having Paul Sr. dead, each one of the four participants saw that their lives would be enhanced for themselves without considering the impact that it might have had on others. But Paul Jr. doesn't have any regrets. Going back to 1983, or uh, even right now, I mean, I've seen someone hit my mom. Yeah, I do another 27 years, right? Yeah. Rosemary died in prison on February 16, 2012. She was 86 years old. Paul Jr. served 25 years and was paroled on May 14, 2009. Two months later, he violated his parole and was back in prison. After a short sentence, Paul Jr. was released again. Six months later... Paul Jr. suffered severe facial injuries in a bicycle accident. He currently lives in Indianapolis, Indiana. Marianne's whereabouts are unknown.